Hi, I'm Marie. And I'm Emily. And we're registered dietitians who love to look at the research when it comes to all things diets and supplements. With years of working with professional and collegiate athletes, we've seen it all, and we're here to set the record straight. On this podcast, we break down popular diets and supplements to let you know what's legit and what's BS. Welcome back to RDs vs. BS podcast. So this is episode 110, and we are just now getting to the Atkins diet, which is funny, but also not too surprising. I mean, we've done so many low-carb diets and talked about it a lot. We also have a BSPS that is an, a listener submission, and, and the listener asked about NAD supplements, which was something I didn't know a whole lot about. So did some research on that. So excited to talk about both of those things. And before we get into our episode today, if you like the show and want to support us, there are a few ways you can do it. You can check out our Patreon using the link in our show notes, the link in our Instagram bio, or just by going to patreon.com slash RDs versus BS podcast. You can also support us by subscribing to the podcast, leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or a five-star rating on Spotify. Keep sending us those topic suggestions. We love hearing from you all. So you can DM us on our Instagram, rds underscore vs underscore bs underscore pod, or check out our website and contact us through the contact page. Our website is rdsversusbs.com. Okay, like we always or often start our episodes, today we have a shit at the grocery store for you. And this one is from Marie. So, Marie, what do you have for us? I have it here in front of me. Mm. I bought some eggs. Show and and tell. And marketing. Yes, show and tell. Show and tell for our podcast listeners who can't see. Yes, Um, right. (laughs) So, I got eggs and um, just saw a couple things in here that I had never seen before. It is very big uh, lettering that it's pasture-raised, which does have a legal meaning, it actually defines pasture raised on the packaging, which I had never seen before. So it said how many square feet the hens got outside. But two things that I saw that I was kind of like, I I don't know for sure. I've never seen it before. And I don't feel like there's a legit meaning to either of these. <laughs> uh, the first one was raised on a small family farm. Or excuse me, raised on small family farms. I feel like that doesn't have any sort of legal meaning to it. It's just sort of a nice like nod to knowing what people want, right? Like we Mm -hmm. do know the fact that it's pasture raised. We do know that they the chickens had to have at least 108 square feet per chicken on average. Um, But I did think it was kind of interesting that they specified on here that they're from a small family farm, which... I feel like you can just slap that on it. Right. Define small and define family. Could I feel like all farms are small family farms if you put it in certain contexts. Right. right? And then the other one, which I kind of think that this is funny. It's processed with 100% solar energy. And so I was kind of like, I don't, I've never raised chickens. I don't know enough about this. I don't know if you need any actual energy in the coop. (laughs) They're eggs. Not really. So, yeah. That's oh, funny. Okay, so they live outside and are warmed by the sun. Like, is that not what every chicken experiences? You know what I mean? Like, 
What part of the hatching an egg requires any sort of energy? That's a good men. point. Just like, hatching uh, it. I don't know. My only context is my sister and my brother-in-law's farm and in Colorado. You know, it is actually a small family farm. But yeah, when it comes to the actual chickens, there's no electricity involved. If we're wrong, somebody let us know if you... But yeah, if you are part of the hen raising egg production process let us know if, if i'm wrong and that might actually have a meaning but that's I, true we're always talking about eggs on this podcast i feel it's come up a few times the the different categories and all of that <laughs> this is worst transition um a diet where you can eat eggs is the atkins diet <laughs> including the yolk and all I'm assuming most people listening have heard of the Atkins diet, but for those of you who've never heard of it, it's pretty much the original low-carb diet. Yeah, so we're, we're going to talk about it today because even though this is a pretty old diet, it's one that I feel like people still follow. So the Atkins diet goes all the way back to 1963, and it was start, started by a cardiologist named Dr. Atkins. In 1972, he published his first book, Dr. Atkins' Diet Revolution, and that was basically to explain his findings on low-carb diets, and that's when the Atkins diet kind of started. I found an article that said, so the Atkins diet introduced to American markets in the 60s, and it was ridiculed for more than 30 years, not only as a fad diet, but as dangerous nonsense as well. So yeah, the mindset of people, you know, not only in America, but across the whole world, I feel like has really shifted. We've talked about this many times from the, um, you know, low fat craze to the low carb craze, but Atkins was talking about low carb for decades before that. I didn't realize it was this old. I did kind of think it was like from the 90s. I thought, I, mm -hmm. yeah, I think everybody kind of knows it as the original low carb diet, but I thought it came about at the same time that people were switching from fat's bad to carbs, carbs are bad. Yeah. So what are some of the claims in this diet? Unsurprisingly, they're what the claims of every low carb diet are. Manage weight loss, manage your blood sugar, a steady fat burning metabolism. Love that. Less stored fat. Um, won't leave you feeling hungry or deprived. And, uh, basically this was one of the first like medical nutrition therapies. Well, okay. Hold on. I shouldn't say that because it is not a medical nutrition therapy. This is not validated to treat anything. <laughs> and most people that have ever tried the Atkins diet are no longer on it because it is not particularly sustainable and sustainable in the long term. But anyway, so it claims that it is on par with other medical nutrition therapies of actually curing some health conditions, curing stuff like metabolic syndrome, diabetes, uh, high blood pressure, heart disease. Throughout the years, obviously, the Atkins diet has sort of morphed. And yeah, it, I think of Atkins today. Like when I think of the brand, I think of the processed bullshit bars that they're pushing as like yes, health snacks. There's so much out there. Yeah. And like um, chocolate. Yeah. And I mean, you know me, I love me a, a good protein bar, right? But like, it is really funny to me how 
this kind of concept, which in kind of its truest form of just being a low carb diet, you know, and we'll get into it. Like there's versions of it that are way restrictive and versions of it that are generally just kind of like a moderate or low carb diet. And it's not particularly restrictive, but kind of this just general concept of mindfulness about carbohydrates has morphed as the brand has morphed to like just I I think of people eating Atkins as like eating just meat and like a bunch of processed bullshit that's in wrappers and it's no difference than like a lot of these like MLM diets that we look at or like other programs that just send you a bunch of processed shit and I'm like (laughs) really like this is your version of health you know Right. Oh my gosh. They have a pizza. They were all excited about this pizza that they came out with, this Atkins brand pizza that only had 11 grams of net carbs. And I'm thinking like the processing you have to do to that mm-hmm. dough to make it 11 grams of net carbs. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, when I think of Atkins, I think of, this is a deep cut, but one of my favorite movies is called Bad News Bears. Oh my and God, it's about yeah. Oh, so good. And it's about these little kids who are on, they're all just bad at sports and they're on a baseball team. And this kid, he like falls and a bag of hot dogs falls out of his, out of his pocket and his friends are making fun of him. And he's like, I'm on the Atkins diet. I can eat as many of these as I want. And first off, very, you know, sad. This kid was 11 that his parents put him on the Atkins diet. But um, that's what I think of is just people eating meat and processed hot dogs and like whatever, whatever they want. Um, There's a little more to it than that. But what I think is so interesting about Atkins is I think people really latched onto it because it was the first time someone said, I don't care about saturated fat. Like, I don't care if you eat 16 ounces of steak every day. Eat whatever you want as long as there aren't carbs in it. And for a lot of people, that way of eating, you know, at least taste-wise, works for them. Mm -hmm. Like, they would rather have bacon and eggs for breakfast than a smoothie. Mm -hmm. And I think just, you know... Taste-wise, anytime you could have more fat in a diet, it's going to taste better. So, yeah, once people got past the this is new and weird and no one else is saying to do low carb, I think that's why it really took off. Because Mm -hmm. a lot of the foods you can eat do taste good. But I also know, like, I've never tried a low-carb diet. Marie, I know you did keto for a while. You always say that. I did it for literally a week. (laughs) Hey, that's longer than I've done it, which is zero, zero days. I went through um, one you, you round of keto. meal prep and was like, <laughs> never again. That was... Well, did you crave carb? Did you crave like fruit? Like, um, carby foods? No, I just felt super shitty the whole time. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> that's enough of a reason. Yeah, Atkins isn't really keto, like part of it. One of the three... Types of Atkins is kind of keto, but it is different in ways. Well, the main difference being that it is pretty high in protein. Like it really focuses on Mm -hmm. protein, whereas a keto diet is high in fat, moderate in protein. And for Mm -hmm. more of why that nuance is important, we talked about it on the keto episode. And we haven't, was it the uh, bulletproof episode? I think we touched on it again. Um, Mm -hmm. Why a a true keto diet is not really going to be very high in protein. So this is... Basically a 
what I would consider to say low carb diet, low carb, moderate ish fat, high protein diet. Mm hmm. All right, so we can get into the kind of three different versions of the Atkins diet that it has morphed in today. There is the Atkins 20, the Atkins 40, and the Atkins 100. And that tells you, those numbers, 20, 40, and 100, tells you how many net carbs you can eat in a day. Net carbs, I believe we've discussed this in the past, but essentially what it is is your total carbohydrate number minus any fiber. So if you look at a package and you have 20 grams of carbs, but there's 10 grams of fiber, your net carbs is 10 grams of net carbs. As we've discussed in the past, this is not something that the American Diabetic Association recognizes as a way to count carbohydrates. Like pretty any, pretty much any medical institution says, no, we don't really consider net carbs as how to count your total carbohydrates. But a lot of these low-carb programs take that into consideration. I think that there is some validity to that line of thinking because we don't actually digest and absorb fiber. But I also think a lot of the reason that they use net carbs is just to make the program more attainable and easier for people. Because if you took Mm -hmm. total carbs into consideration, in that example that I just gave you, That would be, if somebody's on Atkins 20, that'd be their total carbohydrates. Let's say it's like a tortilla or something. That'd be one tortilla would be their entire carbohydrate amount. So I do think that subtracting fiber makes it easier for people to follow, a little bit easier to hit that number. So I do think that that is driving a a good amount of it. And I don't know, this is like a total side tangent, but this is getting back into the like, is pushing a bunch of ultra processed junk really like the purpose of this? Like, so the Atkins bars, for examples, it's a hard enough program to be following as is like finding stuff that's that low carb snacking is kind of challenging when you're trying to follow low carb. Oh, lo and behold, they make these Atkins bars. They, you know, fit the qualifications of exactly what you need. No worries. Like Atkins will sell it to you, but it's 30 grams of carb. But don't worry, it's like 25 grams of fiber, so it's only five net carbs. But it's like, is that is that health? All of your fiber packed into one bar on a low-fiber diet already, and you're just going to be feeling like shit if you eat something like that, or like these tortillas, like the low-carb tortillas, which don't get me wrong, like I'm not demonizing them as is, but like really you're going to like recommend that somebody eat like four low-carb tortillas, which have... 15 grams of fiber in each of them. So you're going to get 60 grams of fiber in one sitting, which is like way more than most people ever get in like a week, let alone a day. And like, just really have some serious GI distress. And I don't know, I, this whole concept of like, this is health. I'm like, (laughs) no, just like eat food as it (laughs) exists normally. But Whatever, I digress. Yeah, it's it's like processing the food to fit the rules. Yes. And you know, speaking of you know, GI distress, part of the whole net carb calculation is you can also subtract the sugar alcohols. Mm-hmm. So that's how they get away with selling Atkins chocolate mm-hmm. because oh, it's two grams of net carbs, but it's all the sugar alcohol, which some people also really do not tolerate sugar alcohol either. So you have too mm-hmm. much of that. You taste the sweetness, but your GI system is not going to be very happy with you. <laughs> yeah. And I really feel like the Atkins diet 
what's the phrase? The Atkins diet walked so that the carnivore diet could run. This is like the precursor. I love that saying. To, you know, just more and more demonization of sugar and carbs and just this whole idea that there's a one macronutrient that is like causing all the problems. And I just, I I don't look at this diet, at least what it's morphed into and think of it as that anything that's like particularly healthy, because again, it's very much, I mean, it is, I guess, kind of hard from a marketing standpoint, it's hard to sell a diet ideology, especially if that ideology, just the, the plan is low carb, because most people kind of have a concept of what that means now, right? So you don't have to go to your local bookstore and buy the book to understand what it means to eat a low carb diet. Now they've transitioned to products. They're almost like, um, I think of them in the same way as like Halo Top. Like they're a sugarless snack food company now almost. I know that they're not, but that's how I think of them. And even, but even if you think about their commercials, like I even recently saw, I think it's so funny that Rob Lowe is their spokesperson because I'm like, I saw that. I'm like, ain't no, I love him. like ain't no way Rob Lowe is on the Atkins diet. <laughs> no. Yeah. No. Which is hilarious. But like even their commercials now are like, oh, you know, like you want a candy bar? Like I've got an alternative for you, blah, blah, blah. So they, they've almost transitioned to being a snack food company, which I think is really interesting, which now is why I feel like I associate it with just low sugar, high fat processed crap and like not a diet that I would ever recommend to anybody. Right. Have you tried any of their products? I'm sure somewhere along the way, because you know I love me a bar, but not that I remember or like particularly sought out. What about you? I think I tried one of their bars once. It was like a something cheesecake and it's has that sugar alcohol taste. So mm-hmm. It's not like the best thing in the world. Yeah, they've got all sorts of stuff in... I really dove deep into the Atkins timeline. In 2016, they launched meal kits too. So they got on Mm -hmm. that craze, which people have been, you know, loving those. You just buy the meal kit and basically have to do minimal cooking and heat it up. And then there's your meal. Yeah, this brand has really withstood the test of time. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about... um, the different phases and kind of what a typical day of eating Atkins would look like. And then we can get into just a little bit about the research and just talk more about low carb diets in general. So they have these four phases that they want people to follow. So in phase one, they call it induction. So it's your strictest phase. You pretty much cut out all carbs from your diet. That's where you start with those 20 grams of net carbs per day. And then you're pretty much just eating protein, cheese, you don't need to limit oils and fat, but you can't eat things like fruit, baked goods, bread, pasta, grains, nuts, or alcohol. And you're supposed to stay on this for two weeks. And then after two weeks, you get into phase two, which they call balancing. So you're still supposed to keep it, they say a minimum of 12 to 15 net carbs from vegetables, You keep avoiding the sugar foods, but you can slowly add in some carbs from high nutrient foods like vegetables, berries, nuts, seeds. So I think you're allowed to maybe get closer to that Atkins 40 
They say you stay in this phase until you're about 10 pounds from your goal weight, and then you go to phase three, which is pre-maintenance. So you slowly keep increasing the range of foods you can eat. You can eat more fruits, starchy vegetables, whole grains. You can add about 10 grams of carbs to your diet each week, but you have to cut back if your weight loss stops. Maria is shaking her head. You stay in this phase until you reach your goal weight. So basically, you add 10 grams of carbs every week unless you stop losing weight and then you go back 10 and you stay there until you reach your goal weight. What could be potentially problematic about this, Marie? This is completely setting up for failure. Like you're just going to be ping pong and back back and forth between these 10 grams of carbs. Because here's the thing, and this is what I was going to bring up like after you'd explained these four phases. If you have to do an extreme restriction to get to your goal weight, you're going to have to maintain that extreme restriction to maintain that goal weight. Maybe you can take your foot off the pedal a little bit, but I don't, I've never understood these programs that tell you like weeks one through two, you're crazy restrictive. And then we're going to get a little bit of less and less. And then your maintenance is like not that restrictive. It's like, why did we not just start with the maintenance? You know, like if we can maintain that lower, cause, cause you can't like do extreme restriction, lose a lot of weight really quickly and then add back a bunch of food and then expect to stay down at that weight that you got to on that extreme restriction. You might not go all the way back up to your original weight, but you're setting yourself up for failure because you are never going to weigh as less as you did when you were in the most extreme part of this restriction. So I've, I've never understood programs that do it this way with the exception of like an elimination diet. But the point of that diet is not to lose weight. It's to take out a bunch of foods that you think are causing problems and then like slowly add them back in. That's, but that's different because that's not meant to be for weight loss. So you're literally like, this literally sets you up for failure. So it's just so stupid to me. And like, Phase four, lifetime maintenance. So let's say like physics don't exist and somehow this all works for you, right? Like, why did we not just start at phase four then? If if phase four is going to allow you to maintain a lower body weight than what you're currently at, like start at the least restrictive spot. Maybe it takes you a couple extra weeks to get there. But like, why are we going through this like rigmarole in the first half, you know, the first couple phases? Right. Instead of destroying your metabolism, getting your body used to eating this lower amount and then trying to add it back in and like trick it back into saying like, stay where you are, but I'm adding more food that doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Especially adding on carbs because carbs hold water when they're stored. So you're going to be, this weight loss is going to slow, if not reverse, right. especially going from 20 net carbs to a hundred. That's a huge, I know it happens over weeks, but it's a big jump. Yeah. Yeah. You're, it would be, if you were eating even the same amount of calories, but on one diet you're on or same equal calories, but Atkins 10 or Atkins 20 versus Atkins 100, you're going to weigh more on the Atkins 100, not because you put on body fat, but because you're storing more carbs that has mm-hmm. water weight to it. So you're just going to put on a couple pounds of water weight. So it's like almost physically impossible to do this. It is physically impossible to do this program and just somehow keep adding a bunch of carbs back into your day, but not gain any weight back. 
Yet they've been around for 70 years now. It's like, or I guess 60. Yeah. It's crazy. But I don't, again, I don't know how many people are on an Atkins Atkins diet. diet. I just know people that like eat Atkins snacks or just know it to be a low carb diet. Reminds me of like, they sell those keto yogurts now. And I know people will just buy them and just eat them, even though they're not on the keto diet. I'm like, don't. Yeah. Not not good unless you're specifically on the keto diet not good yeah (laughs) on the atkins website they say from harvard medical school to the american heart association over 100 scientific publications have shown the benefits of atkins lifestyle oh wait hold on hold on i love that they (laughs) said atkins lifestyle Right. Which can encompass anything low carb instead of like the branded Atkins diet <laughs> because they couldn't have said that the American Heart Association <laughs> says shit about the Atkins diet, but they can say, oh, you know, it's kind of in line with the Atkins lifestyle. Atkins lifestyle. Like, fucking wording, man. Like, I know. I know it'll gotcha. Another thing I found on the Atkins website, this was interesting. They said um, researchers at the University of California, San Francisco, revealed that the sugar industry's influence on research studies downplayed the effect of sugar on heart disease. From the 60s onward, big sugar's influence, they literally literally says that big sugar's influence caused health officials to recommend a diet low in saturated fats, but not low in sugars. Recent research shows that. (laughs) refined carbohydrates and sugars are risk factors for heart disease i am picturing the pyramid from forever ago and i specifically remember little sugar cubes at the very top of the pyramid where you were supposed to have sparingly so i don't know what they i don't know what are they referring to what what recommendations do all of these people think I don't get that. <laughs> Just because the standard American diet is shit and has a lot of sugar does not mean that has ever been this country's recommendations. Every iteration, Sorry. we have an entire episode on the history of the food pyramid, which we don't even use anymore. It's called a my plate. But everywhere from World War II up until now, we go through every iteration of what the dietary recommendations for Americans have been. And not once has it ever recommended more than like 20 grams of added sugar a day, which is nothing. Mm-hmm. So I am so sick of this narrative. Like I, I can't. <sighs> yeah. I mean, I think people would come back and say like, oh, that pyramid was based on six to 11 servings of carbs. Well, they weren't saying but like whole food. refined it was whole grains. carbs. Yeah, it was, it was literally whole grains. Whole grains. Right. Yeah. And a serving of whole grain is like a third of a cup. So like, Yes, it's just misleading. Like, it looks like it's saying eat bread all day long, but, like, six servings of whole grains is not a lot. So, like, a true serving, that's, like, a total of a cup and a half of grains throughout your entire day is six servings. So, oh, my God. And there's zero sugar in whole (laughs) grains. Like, I know. I know. It's, yeah. Yeah, so there has been a lot of research on low-carb diets and Atkins in particular. And what they find is not surprising. It's what we've talked about a lot on this podcast is that when you cut out carbs, 
immediately you lose weight from the water weight. And people do tend to lose weight initially when they go on a low-carb diet. And that's not only because of the water weight, but it becomes much easier to eat fewer calories. And at the end of the day, that is also what the research shows, is that if you are on a calorie-restricted diet, you are likely to lose weight. And when you do a low-carb diet, it becomes easier because fats and proteins are a lot more filling than sugar, refined carbs, all of that. And you also have less options of what to eat. And when there's not as much of a variety, it's easier to not overeat. Because mm-hmm. you can either have, instead of, oh, I can have another handful of chips and then I can have some cookies. And then I can, it's like, if you're hungry, you can have another hot dog or mm-hmm. like a piece of cheese. Like the options get dwindled down. Mm-hmm. Research also shows that low-carb diets, Atkins, all of those, they're no more effective for weight loss than standard weight loss diets, than low-fat or paleo or any of the other diets we've talked about. It's all about that calorie restriction. And studies also find that most people regain the weight they lost anyway, no matter which diet plan they use. So like, why are why are we, why are we even dieting? There's, mm-hmm. It's something, this just innate pull that diets have on people And it it gives them hope. It's like, oh, I haven't tried this one yet. So I'll Mm -hmm. try this one. Maybe it'll be different than the 20 other diets I've done throughout my life. Mm -hmm. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. It's same conclusion that we had for keto, for intermittent fasting, for like a lot of these diets. I don't know if, I mean... I I wouldn't necessarily recommend like the branded Atkins diet for anybody. If a low-carb diet is what works for you, whether that's keto or just a low-carb diet, great. You know, like, this will work for some people. Some people just like higher-fat, higher-protein foods, and they don't particularly want or need or crave carbs that much. And just not eating that much carbs throughout a day, it works for them. And it's easy and it's sustainable, and they can, like, maintain their goal weight and... If that is what works for you, then that is totally fine. But it is not what works for everybody. And eating a bunch of processed high net carb or sorry, low net carb processed pizza crap all day long is not health at the end of the day. That's just not that. At least that's not what I consider health. So, you know, if if you've been following the Atkins diet since 1960 and it's working for you and whatever, you're able to maintain those guidelines. Like who am I to tell you to stop? But I, and again, I don't think that there is really a whole lot of people out there. Like I'm going on the Atkins diet. You know, it's usually like, Oh, I'm just not eating that many carbs or I'm trying to like limit my carbs or whatever. So I'm not a particularly like new topic today, but it was funny to kind of go through the OG Is this the OG diet plan? No, there's no way. I can't think of any others that we've looked at that started earlier when it comes to like, I mean, I've seen ridiculous things like old diet books. That's it was like the wine diet and you had a whole bottle of wine over a day with like a steak and an egg or something like that. 
guessing that was even before the 60s. But yeah, this one's been around for a long time. Is it BS? I would say no, based on what, Marie, what you just said. Like some people just like eating this way. For some people, it works and they like it and it keeps them feeling healthy and that's totally fine. But I I wouldn't say it's BS, but it's still a diet and it's not something Mm -hmm. I would, yeah, I would never recommend to someone like do the Atkins diet and buy the Atkins food, the chocolate and the shakes and stuff. But yeah, I don't think it quite gets the BS stamp for me. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I feel like, yeah, same thing. Again, I would never like endorse the brand, the Atkins diet. Mm -hmm. But the reason that some people find that it works and for some people it is sustainable. Again, not following that whole like ridiculous phase situation. But like, yeah, in the same way that keto, intermittent fasting They're not BS, they just work for certain people and they don't work for other people. And I will die on the hill that sugar, alcohol, chocolate does not equal health. Just eat less of the real stuff, I feel like, at that point. Yeah. Oh. All right. All right. So that was a fun little throwback Atkins diet. But we're not done for today for this episode. We have a BSPS. Like I said in the beginning, it is a listener submission on NAD supplements. Marie, is this something you come across? Do people ever ask you about these supplements in particular? Yeah, not super often, but I have definitely, uh, I've been seeing it more and more often. I've had a couple questions about them. So they're very, Mm -hmm. I mean, they, in the spaces in which they are popular tend to be athletics. A little bit in the weight loss world, but more so in the performance world. I'm also biased because I work in the performance world, so maybe that's the only reason that I see them. Sure. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. So we got a listener submission, and our listener said, just found out about your podcast, and I love them. I've been a supplement junkie for 30 years, have suffered from some and diluted by others. <laughs> I'm a sucker for them and the latest hype. So I really, really appreciate you all providing solid science. Would love it if you do a report on NAD supplements, please. Yeah, so NAD supplements, basically NAD, and I'm glad there's an acronym because this is a mouthful. It stands for nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide or NAD plus. And when I hear that, I'm just thinking back to like anatomy, physiology, biochemistry days and the metabolic pathways and all of that that we'd have to memorize. And But basically NAD, it's needed for metabolism. Marie, when you say people are interested in this, like from the athletics performance world, I'm guessing it's the metabolism Mm -hmm. piece. Yeah. Yeah. So basically NADH or sorry, NAD plus, it's a part of energy metabolism and the production of a compound from NAD plus to NADH can then go drive the production of ATP, which is ultimately what we use as energy in the human body. But all carbs, fats, or proteins that have been converted to carbs and then is getting converted to energy become the final product. The final energy product is called ATP. So basically these are compounds. NAD plus is a compound that can bring on a hydrogen 
cross over to the mitochondria, drop off the hydrogen, and that dropping off of the hydrogen is what eventually leads to the production of ATP, which is energy. So it's like a precursor. I, I, I don't know. Here's the thing. And like, I'm going to totally spoil like all of the hard work that you just put into researching <laughs> with this statement up front. But it's like, it's kind of like the CoQ10 supplements. Yeah. It's like a theoretical pathway situation where <laughs> that we have no research on that it right, actually does anything yeah yeah it's like yes i mean in theory like your body requires nad plus to be part of that metabolism pathway to be part of energy production but does supplementing this precursor have any impact on actual energy production it's just the evidence is not convincing at all I mean, there's like some small studies. I'm not going to pretend like I'm super educated on human production of... So like we create NAD plus already. Like that's, you know, again, it's part. It's a compound that's part of this metabolic pathway. So that is something that we create. I, I'm not going to pretend like I'm super knowledgeable in like how NAD plus is created in the body and if that's something that we stop making it as much at any point, but it just seems weird to me that like, you're, you know, like, it's not like you just digest a compound and it just goes straight into your muscles where exactly it needs oh, yeah. to be to be part of this energy production, right? It's like your body will be breaking down compounds and utilizing it for whatever it needs. So I find it, I find it hard to believe that you ingest NAD plus and it is then utilized in the body as NAD plus, like that just seems like kind of a stretch for me. Definitely. It's a classic case of more doesn't equal better. Just mm -hmm. like in, I think it was maybe, gosh, back to the hair gummies episode. And I think it was vitamin B and some other, mm -hmm. and, and this, this wasn't related to hair, but also when we talked about magnesium, like a lot of things, there's research that if you're deficient in these things and you take them, you get mm -hmm. benefits. But if you already have enough, mm -hmm. then taking more doesn't really do anything. And yeah, with NAD, we have, and even when you're, I should say, when you're supplementing for NAD, you're not taking NAD, you're taking the precursors to NAD. So it's like these things will turn into NAD. But even that, like Marie said, the research, there's no convincing research that while theoretically having more of this in your system should lead to more energy, it's involved in this metabolic pathway, there isn't research showing that it is. So mm -hmm. I find it such a small piece of everything going on in your health and nutrition in your body. That plus the fact that there's not a lot of research, I I wouldn't recommend yeah. taking this. I don't think there's, you know, if you want more... It's it's for more energy. That's the goal. Like I, I could think of fourteen other ways to get <laughs> yeah. more energy than by taking a supplement that may or may not do anything. Yeah, I you know I did find a little that that as you get older and some disease states are associated with declines in NAD levels. So maybe one day you know they'll do a good study on people who are aging. If they have less NAD, does it help to supplement with this? But yeah, there's um, not really solid evidence out there right now. It's pretty unclear. 
There are some studies, but nothing too convincing. Yeah, and they're also studying NAD levels as a possible treatment strategy for a number of conditions, but mostly with cognitive decline, like Alzheimer's disease. But even with these studies that they've done, the findings, they tend to be positive, but they've been mostly in animal models. And also some of the findings have adverse effects and no effect at all. So this is what we're talking about. Like, it's not convincing animal models, and it's unclear because it's not always a positive effect. So all of that to say, our listener supplement junkie, this is probably one that you don't have to spend your money on. I heard a really good analogy today. So actually, I do. I wasn't going to... I'm going to recommend this, actually. So... I I don't always agree with everything that he says, but do you know who Dr. Mike is? No. Oh, he's like a YouTube doctor. Um, he just started a podcast and he had uh, Dr. Lane Norton on his podcast and they had a terrific episode about just how research gets completely taken out of context and like why there's so many snake oil salesmen out there and like why people tend to like follow the wrong type of creator and believe people who don't know what they're talking about. Like it's, it's, it is such a terrific episode just talking about the landscape of nutrition and nutrition misinformation that's out there right now. And one of the analogies that Lane gave that I really loved was he was talking about, like, they were talking about, like, behavior change, right? And they were also talking about, like, in the end, grand scheme of things, like, these sort of biohacky type things, A, like, how much of an impact is it really going to make? And then from, like, a population health and public health standpoint, you're really talking to the one like 0.01% of people who even have the means to implement any of these like biohacky changes, right? So like, they were kind of having that discussion. And and one thing that Lane said is he was like, you know, if I am like, if, if total health is like the amount of rocks that I can pick up, and I have the options of like picking up these really big rocks, and they stack, you know, easily or whatever, And then there's like pebbles, you know, he's like, I'm going to go for the big ones first that are easy to stack. So sleep, generally maintaining a good, healthy weight, exercise, stress management, like those are your big rocks, right? And like for most people, if you can get those three or four just big rocks picked up, you're fine. And then some of these other things, vitamin D, creatine, you know, some of the stuff that we've talked about, omega-3, like that has pretty solid research behind it. Those are more of like those smaller rocks, right? But you need those bigger rocks picked up first to have any sort of meaningful impact. And then I would call this NAD plus supplement like a a grain of sand, right? That's small, not even a pebble. Yeah, like a grain of sand. I agree. Could it maybe make like a 0.0000001% impact in your overall health, in your longevity, in your, you know, whatever wellness looks like for you? Maybe we really don't have the evidence to support that, but there's a theoretical pathway in which potentially that could happen. But it's like, do you really want to focus on that grade of sand or do you want to focus on the big rocks? So I thought that was such a good analogy. Oh yeah, I'm going to use that. I mean, the amount of money you would spend on an NAD supplement, I don't know, for 5, 10, 20 yeah. years, put that towards buying a new mattress and having better better right. sleep. Right. Yeah. So those are those are our thoughts on NAD. It's just it's worth a grain of sand but not much more. And thank you to our listener for sending in that suggestion. 
If any of our other listeners are listening and you have a supplement or a diet or a book or something that we haven't talked about yet that you would love to hear us break apart on the podcast, send us your suggestions. You know how to get a hold of us. And also be sure to check out the Patreon. Lots of good stuff on there. But until next time, I'm Emily. And I'm Marie. And don't let the BS get the best of you.